These are strange days for our city and, and the country, but also strange days for our worship life. We are in between the feast of the Ascension, which we observed last Thursday, and soon to be observing the feast of Pentecost next Sunday. We're in a kind of in-between time where Jesus has ascended, but the power of Pentecost has not yet arrived. In a sense, that's a bit like, I think for, for many of us, that's a bit like where we are in life. We Many of us have received our vaccines against the coronavirus, others still yet to receive them. But the sense that things might be moving, things might be opening up, uh, is in the air. And yet we are not free of uh, our coronavirus restrictions yet. As an aside, I'm hoping that maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to give up social distancing and be fully open by, by mid-June if we're, if we're fortunate. But for now, we're in this, this in-between uh, time. And we observe this in the church by reading from what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's a prayer for his disciples uh, in the part of John's gospel, which is called his farewell discourse. And it, it's a prayer for his disciples that they live in the world, but not of it. That's the core uh, for, for what he wants for his followers. The world is a dangerous place for them, we learn. The world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I, Jesus, do not belong to the world. Jesus is not going to be the kind of Messiah who will raise an army and evict the Romans, and his disciples are not going to be the kind of people who are going to run out, and, well, at least I hope they're not going to be the kind of people who will run out and buy guns and lobby for permitless carry laws. So the questions for today are, what does it mean to be in the world and not of it? And based on that, how might our answer help us navigate our own in-between times? Now, some Christian commentators see the business of being in the world and not of it as a matter of simply understanding God's truth and getting out there and living God's truth, even though you'll get criticized for it, even though you'll be put down for it. And there's a sort of sense in which uh, Christians are being persecuted for being, for being right and, and faithful to the, to the scriptures. The problem, as I see it, with that kind of point of view is that those who hold it tend to be really clear about what the scriptures mean and say and and it seems to me to be pretty bound up with a kind of cultural Christianity, a sort of assumption uh, that, that Christians all think alike and all see the same world the same way. And that's not terribly helpful. More helpful, uh, for me at any rate, is a book that came out in 1951 by H. H. Richard Niebuhr called Christ and Culture. And in it, he looks at the relationship between the faith and culture as a way perhaps of, of a way perhaps of living in the world, but not of it. We might see, uh, he, he offers various options. He might see Christ as over against culture, um, might see it as judging, uh, judging the, the ways of the world. Um, and I could, I could give examples. I mean, maybe, maybe the, um, Maybe the way in which, what would Christ think of the way in which the National Rifle Association um, interprets the Second Amendment of our Constitution? Uh, as an aside here, you might enjoy um, a short documentary that's available on Netflix called Armour of Light. It came out a few years ago. 
And it's uh, really a story of a, of a man who I've come to know called Rob Schenk, who was a, he was essentially the lobbyist for the anti-abortion movement of evangelical Christianity. And he started asking, and in this film, he, he's filmed asking his fellow evangelicals, uh, how can we be pro-life and also pro-gun? And uh, in the course of, of this, we, what we discover is that he loses many friends. And in fact, he loses his, his whole ministry, his whole livelihood as a result of asking that important question. So Christ over against culture is a possibility. Another is that Christ is in agreement with culture. We might see times when clearly God blesses things like um, uh, the not particularly American, but, but, but often uh, we see it more clearly in America of a culture such as the norms of generosity and volunteerism and, um, uh, and, and community activism. A third option is something more like Christ's intention with culture. Uh, within this view, there are those who would synthesize the relationship between reason and revelation, creation and redemption, nature and grace. Uh, Niebuhr sees Thomas Aquinas and his theological work as exemplifying this kind of, uh, this kind of way in which Christ is intention with culture. Another uh, version of this would be a sort of dualism or paradox offering a uh, way of seeing God's Grace in God's grace, grace in God and sin in humanity, and those two in a sort of creative tension. This is very much something we hear in, in, when we listen to the preaching of Martin Luther King Jr., a uh, sense of paradox. Um, or another example, the, the Christian socialists of the uh, 19th century, uh, F.D. Morris, Charles Kingsley and others, they, they would have seen Christ as transforming culture or converting culture um, to, to be ever more reflective of the yet-to-be-fully-realized uh, reality of, of the kingdom of God coming into being. In any event, Niebuhr wants us to hold all of these. He doesn't want us to pick one and be righteous about it, essentially self-righteous. He wants us to hold all of these intention as we navigate what it means to be in the world but not of it. We might remember St. Paul here in his letter to the Christians in Philippi, when he said to them, therefore, my beloved, just you have always obeyed me, Paul, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This, of course, is what we do, strive to do all of the time when we uh, steep ourselves in the story, our story, the human story of Scripture, revealed in Scripture, when we turn over and over again toward what really matters, which we do in worship, when we change the prism by which we see the world uh, through engaging the practices of generosity or of serving others. All of these things are ways of grounding ourselves, remembering what matters, and navigating life even in the in-between times as followers of Jesus enjoined to be in the world but not of it. I don't know about you but I sense a sort of free-floating anxiety in the world at the moment. Uh, our bishop asked are we going to experience an outpouring of 
a reservoir of grief that has been building up? Or are we about to experience something like the Roaring Twenties with everybody just letting loose once, once the year? Well, maybe both, maybe both at the same time. But in any event, in any event, there's this sort of anxiety around us, which is part of this in-betweenness that we must navigate. Um, as a short version of what I'm talking about, I find the confession we've been using these last months uh, particularly useful. This is a confession that we've adapted from Common Worship, a prayer book of the Church of England. And this is what we pray each week. We'll pray in a few minutes. In your mercy, O Lord, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with you, our God. Is this not a good way to live fully in the world, but not of it, wherever we find ourselves in the life over the journey of faith? I pray it may be so for you. I pray it may be so for me. And I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.